The opinions expressed in the following program are provided for general information purposes only and should not be construed as advice from CJAD 800 or Bell Media. The following is sponsored content. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller-Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Josh Miller. Today's Entrepreneur, presented by FL Montreal. Welcome back, Josh. Hello, Dan. And uh, this evening, we are going to talk about a restaurateur who I, I just can't uh, stop hearing great things about. I can't get into the place. I'd love to go, but I can't get into uh, Journey. Y- you, might, you might be able to get in after tonight. And he brought samples. They're not in the room now. They're going to come in momentarily. So uh, we'll take turns munching uh, and not eating. Journey Ikimatsu of Juni, along with Ped Primprakeo, uh, both of Juni. And uh, they're going to join us in a little bit about the restaurant business. And then Peter Moranis, a tax partner at FL, uh, will talk about restaurant and taxes and how that can get complicated sometimes. Um, especially as of a couple years ago, they had the, the uh, point of system law that came in yeah, the to MEV. automate everything. Yeah, yeah. So that'll so be an issue, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, news and notes, uh, entrepreneur-wise of the week. And my question of the week, Josh, has to do with the weather, actually. And this is something that I've been seeing. We um, love talking about the weather. It doesn't affect my business because we're, we're mostly remote, so people can work, uh, can write from <laughs> wherever they want. But uh, for a lot of businesses, I'm seeing some some clients uh, getting frustrated, uh, lower, um, low, uh, higher absenteeism, um, you know, a lot of complications, a lot of logistics. People are an hour, two hours late. How badly does snow uh, does a snowstorm affect the average Montreal business? Uh, it, it can definitely affect, and as you say, if you're logistics, if you're trying to get, it's one thing to have employees late uh, coming in, and and there's so many different aspects of that. Because do you have telecommuting telecommuting uh, policies? Do you have ability? Does your technology allow you to work remotely? Most things can be done remotely. That being said, it's not always easiest. So how is the business set up for it? Do you, do you plan in advance? You know, it's different Friday, Thursday, Friday, you knew it was coming today. You didn't really know it was coming because who knows why we didn't know it was coming. Everyone was late to work today. Yeah. And, uh, and so, so there's some things that are definitely out of, out of your control, but the things that are within your control it's a question of planning. It's a question of taking the time. If you just think about it and make your notes, now you can't plan for everything. You know, if you're a courier business, well then, yeah, it might be a little harder to get to places on time and things might cost you more that you might have to, you might have to suck it up a little bit sometimes and eat some of that cost just to make sure that your customer service level is, is still maintained. And I think that's the differentiator. If you can maintain and, and give, fantastic customer service in difficult times, even if you have to eat a few dollars as a result, there you're creating client loyalty. And if you're able to do that in any way, shape, or form, that's great. So I think bad weather can be a problematic and a curse, but I think it could be a great opportunity to shine with your customers mm. if you think about it and if you empower some of your people to deal with it accordingly. Yeah, good advice to, to provide incentives to or, you know, last minute deals. What about um, for some companies, even a, like an, a Stormwatch email blast to some clients saying, listen, we have, we're in Montreal, there's stuff we can't control, act of God, whatnot, just please be patient with us this week and we'll be on top of it asap politeness definitely works advanced like you know it's it's easier to be proactive than reactive people definitely respond better to that as long as you're not finding an excuse to 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 be late Uh, the old adage applies 
under promise and over deliver. And if you can find a way to do that in difficult weather days, if it truly affects your business, then go for it. I, you know, look at it and see it as an opportunity, but be ready to be ready to deal with it. Don't get too stressed because sometimes when people get stressed, they really react poorly and then it all falls apart. So if you can kind of maintain composure and think about it a little in advance, then then absolutely you can come out on top. Uh, let's get to some news now, and this piece from the Montreal Gazette. Uh, we could talk about this for an hour. It's always a popular subject on CJAD, and if I say Bombardier, uh, you know, the text board will start lighting up right away. So this piece in the Gazette by Frederick uh, Tomesco, what went wrong at Bombardier? Everything. <laughs> What's your take on this whole Bombardier saga? Well, and, and you know, I, I, I get the news. You know, I can, I can read the article. I'm sure the article only tells you a portion of the story. There's no question. Bombardier is a huge monster. Uh, they they've undergone so many things. I mean, they're borrowing. Their debt levels are in the absolute stratosphere. Uh, I think they're borrowing something like nine ten billion dollars. Uh, so it, it it's very expensive. But when the new CEO came in and he's trying to do things like what things that that and I'm trying to equate Bombardier to the SME to the small and medium sized enterprise, which is not always the easiest thing to do. But if you're, if you're looking at that example and they're saying, you know, when he first, when they were trying to cut back because, because they were, you know, they had such great debt and they were trying to save some money. So they were chopping, not growing a lot of small businesses. Yeah. If you look and you're under the gun and you're, you're losing money, you'll chop, not grow, which I understand. But I would say, don't look at one at the expense of the other. Always think a little further ahead. Yes, you have to deal with the immediate. Yes, you have to deal with the bank breathing down your neck or whatever financier is breathing down your neck. But you can't lose sight of the future. So I think a, a good mix where possible of cutting back or or spending less smartly and growing smartly or looking ahead in an intelligent fashion, I think some combination is there. Bombardier, I think, chopped a hell of a bunch of stuff and didn't necessarily focus on on future growth as much as they could have. Again, caveat, I'm sure we only know a fraction of the story. I won't talk about politics at all, but I, I do want to point out, and I, I wonder if you have thoughts on this, Josh, that Bombardier is uh, part of a, a small group of very big companies, Canada Inc. companies, uh, that are unlike any other business really on the international stage. They, they've always been not only huge recipients of government support, but really an integral part of government. I mean, they're almost, almost semi-public in some respects. And a long time ago, historically, we made a decision to have an aerospace industry as a nation. We're, we're a G7 nation. That's a decision that we made. Uh, it was a controversial one because it requires supporting companies like Bombardier. So now we look back and say, well, is it worth it? You know, is it worth buying our way into the aerospace game? I don't know. It's an open question. And and I would say it comes down to jobs. It comes down to employee, you know, the, the, the population and where are they going to work? And we've, you know, if, if the decision, like, as you say, was to build up this industry and Montreal is certainly very heavy from an aerospace standpoint, I'm learning that quickly. Uh, and that is, it's it's about jobs. And when you're, you know, it's great to keep bailing out, but if you're saving thousands and tens of thousands of jobs or creating them for that matter, where do you balance the downside versus the upside? Is it better not to lend a billion dollars and have 2,500 people out of work where the economic impact, maybe not a billion, but has a huge factor or vice versa? And, you know, I, I won't pretend to have all the numbers balanced out, but there's no question that there that there's both sides to that going. 
This is from uh, Human Resources Director Magazine. Uh, they have some interesting stuff about uh, sort of the emerging field of HR and, and new tactics. And this is called pre-boarding. So not onboarding, but pre-boarding, how to prepare your new hires uh, to incorporate into your culture. And it's it struck me today because I was looking into various uh, uh, management profiles and email systems for my, for my company. And I saw one that had this feature uh, like an an, uh, an engagement platform like Slack or Asana or all that. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, you just want my people to waste more time on the internet on your platform. You don't want them to be actually more productive. You want them to lose more time in some internal social network. Well, that's and, and there's two different aspects. One is how efficient can you be with the software that's out there? It's supposed to be the collaborative software. It's supposed to cut down on emails and help you, you know, react in a more timely basis or proactive basis using the slacks of of the world or the trellos of the world or or whatever collaboration software can be amongst them this article uh, you know that that chats about this pre-boarding is more about setting the stage when you're when your employee first walks through the door you're really trying to develop that culture from the get-go you're really trying to orient that person to not only what they're supposed to do from a task standpoint, but what the company's about. What is their mission? What is their vision? What are the people around doing? What are the what is the environment? There's there's so much turnover and so much talk about talent retention and talent war is right at the beginning becomes almost the most crucial because you're setting the tone. If the orientation, if that first day of the employee comes in and it's completely disorganized, well, what impression does that leave? So that pre-boarding, that first first few hours or days is crucial and just to set the right tone so that that team member that employee has a better chance to stick around from inc.com some of the best industries to look for uh to start your businesses in in 2020 i'll read the list out real quick here clean water services gender neutral personal care gun violence prevention healthier junk foods next wave logistics pet wearables space tech and sustainable consumer goods there's so much out there i think healthier junk foods i think that's uh that's great because people are always caught it's great marketers dream too and uh and certainly prevention uh gun violence prevention uh, we hear horror stories all the time uh what people can do to stop it is it's almost diff- it's really difficult to stop but if you can come up with something well i think people will put the cost aside and just kind of delve into it and space we've got to mention space we're going to have a new uh spacex uh spaceship this year coming we're going to have heavy industry heading up in space it's an interesting year for space tech it it is and if there's the money to invest and people are willing to do it then so be it all right let's talk about sushi coming up next juni is with us juni ikimatsu and ped primakeo of restaurant juni very famous sushi restaurant in town uh, considered to be one of the best and juni will share his knowledge with us coming up next For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller-Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and Josh Miller with you, presented by FL Montreal. And I'm very excited for the program tonight, Josh. Uh, We have uh, what is widely considered to be uh, one of the top restaurateurs around in terms of uh, sushi. Uh, Dan, uh, are you excited about the story? Are you excited because you just had a couple of pieces of some of the great nigiri sushi that they prepare? They they brought us some samples. Thank you, gentlemen. We appreciate that. Uh, Juni Ikimatsu and Ped Primakeo of Restaurant Juni. Uh, Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Konbanwa. And, uh, you know, notwithstanding the fact that, you know, most people pretty much know it, but we'll start with the easiest question, just so the listeners understand. 
what is restaurant Juni? Yes, uh, Juni, first thing is it's,、uh, it's my name, it's Junichi Ikematsu. So, but what, when we, 2005, we opened the restaurant with、uh, Pat and Jonathan and、uh, me, and we, we want to put some name, it's very like a put on my name, but it's more like a means, like a Jun, it means pure. And、uh, I, in Japanese, I, it means、uh, passion, so pure passion.、Mm. So we want to try to put the pure passion to the, our food and our service, our, you know, the restaurant. So, so when your parents were naming you Juni, were they thinking that you were going to be pure passion? No, no, no. <laughs> But my, yeah, it's Jun, it's pure. And then, you know, my real name is Jun Ichi. So Ichi is number one. So、mm. it's.、Uh, That's the means, but it's you know, the restaurant is not only the food, we had to make、uh, the good service and the good atmosphere. It's, it's so important, it's all like combined. Now, now I know you know, I'm trying to compare or, or think the, the restaurant, it's, it's yes, it can be seen as some typical, but I know. Uh, Junsen, that you also studied on the French side in, in France. So you, you brought some French style to the Japanese、yes. cuisine. So maybe you can kind of describe as you, as you were thinking about the menu when you were developing this concept 15 years ago plus. Yes.、Uh, I started when I was 18, like a French restaurant in Kyoto, so, which is like a very like, traditional French cuisine. And、uh, so I started. Lots of、around. sauces, right? Yeah, a lot of sauces. And,、uh, It was very hard, you know, working very hard. And then, so I, I learned the French cuisine. So, you know, when I came to Canada, so I started sushi, working for sushi restaurant. So I started sushi restaurant, and,、uh, you know, of course, it's I'm Japanese. And,、uh, you know, I, when I opened the restaurant, like, so I should do something, my skill for the French cuisine. So that's why. My appetizers or dessert is it's very f- little French and、uh, Quebec, Quebec product, and then、uh, Japanese touch. So it's like a combined. So, you know, that's the, what we want. Now, you, you came here in the late 80s, right? 89s.、Yes. 89. Um, and the restaurant, like, did you, you worked a lot, in, and Ped, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring you into the conversation as well. What was your background before you got into restaurants? <laughs> Um, I started when I was 15, actually, like a summer job, and I stuck with that for paying my intuition,、uh, paying my car, and it was, I, it was a good money also, still a good money, you know, to, to go to school and work、uh, less hours. You know. So I got stuck with it and、um, came a passion. And wanted to start、uh, our own businesses.、So. What did you guys do before Juni began? We worked together at Soto restaurant. It's,、uh, I was a chef at, for Soto restaurant for 10 years. And、uh, we worked together with Pat and Jonathan. And、uh, so we decided to open on. So then we, we moved it 2005. So,、mm-hmm. yeah. So, Montreal is a, a, obviously a huge restaurant city. It's very competitive. But in, in the sushi game,、uh, there was a gap in the market maybe 10 years ago, right? Did you, did you see that gap? Did you, see, did you think we could do better sushi as a city?、Uh, but with the talent of Junsan, I think there was、um, something missing. So, and also, there's a lot of、um, sushi in Montreal. It's more like a sushi takeout.、Mm-hmm. 
So what we wanted to give to the people of Montreal or Quebec is, is to give them an experience of what really sushi is and what the Japanese experience is also. Now, the, the menu, you know, a lot of people like think and say, well, do you have to keep changing it up or do you keep the same items because it's so fresh and so delicious? How often do you change your menu, like at the beginning versus now? What was, the, what was your, your thought process? Now it's like a basic, we keep like a sushi menu is a basic to keep. And then every, every, almost every day we got the special fish from Japan and uh, three, four times a week now. Two different company brings uh, Japanese fish. So, so we always have a special fish on the menu. And also our like a grand menu, we changing uh, like, six months every six months so it's a new appetizers every six months and uh you know also we have a lot of special fish so at the beginning were you changing every six months or were you beginning like i change every like uh almost every month yeah. did that become too much to, to handle that was uh, too much like every every month we have a degustation menu so we change so that was you know it was too much so can you tell me about the importance of, of finding a good supplier? Because here in Montreal, could, it could be tough to find a good fresh fish. Do you have to have a connection? Did you have to establish that relationship for a long time? Yes. I have uh, my four good suppliers. It's, uh, I have a, I'm working for 15 years, so I never change. And uh, they, I trust them, and they trust me. They bring us so good food. Good, good fish no, all and, the time, and that all that relationship time. is huge because without fresh fish, what what but, do you really have, yeah, right? As a, as a Japanese we had to we had to respect each other because last year we, I visit the the Japanese market, which is my supplier, and then what kind of fish they, fish they have, and uh, you know they show us and uh, they show me, and uh, it's a uh, it's very like they take care of us, so it's uh, we had to respect each other to get the good fish is here. it this is it the same with sake suppliers or or, or import of the, of the sake that you use no different different the suppliers only for the fish right but for the suppliers of your sake because you're, oh, yeah. you're trying to bring you know That's different right. sake to to accompany the food was that uh how how was that experience in finding um i would say 15 years ago was really hard um to find good sake um, but now, these days, a lot of people are more interested about sake. So a lot of um, wine agency, even sake agency that started to import their sake. So back in the days, we were it was kind of hard. So we, we opened a uh, sake-imported uh, company to import the sake that we can sell at the restaurant. But now, the, it's more fun because... A lot of people wanted to sell, to drink, and to taste sake. They know more, and they want to learn more, also. No, there's no question. Uh, education, you know, when you first came to to Montreal, Junsan, sushi didn't mean anything to everybody, so there was definitely an education and a and and a learning curve for everybody. So that's uh, that's something that we'll we'll continue to explore. Today's entrepreneur on CJD 800. More with Juni Ikimatsu and Ped Pimakeo of Restaurant Juni in a moment. And Peter Moretis, tax partner at FL, talks about restaurants and uh, taxes. Coming up, news next. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult FL Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
7.36, welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by FL Montreal. Dan Delmar and Josh Miller with you. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people and uh, an outstanding restaurateur with us. Two restaurateurs, Juni Ikimatsu and Ped Pimrakeo of Restaurant Juni. Um, considered one of the best uh, in the city, if not the best. And uh, guys, how did you come together, by the way? Your backgrounds are a little different. Ped, uh, you're more on the on the Thai side. Uh, how, how did you come together? And do does that sort of cross-cultural uh, melange inspire your menu? Um, the menu is pretty much uh, Jun San's um, concept. Pretty much, it's all his idea and all this experience. Also, um, me and Jonathan were more on the floor side, so the service, the experience, uh, talk to the customer, and also a way of serving as much people as we can as the best also that we can also. And you left him in the restaurant tonight because somebody had to be there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys have just, I mean, obviously Jun-san has his role of, of the menu and, and, and the kitchen and the sushi pre- preparation. Between you and Jonathan, do you have your, your separate roles? Do you overlap a lot? Um, no, um, actually I'm more on the administration-wise and uh, Jonathan is more on the floor wise, so concept wise, um, like maitre d, and also do uh, what we have to do for um, make the customer happy. Now, one of the aspects, one of the must be the most fun aspect, is dealing with people, your employees, your labor. That you know, we've had we've had a number of restaurateurs on the program, and that's not always the easiest. How's how have your experience been dealing with your your labor and your employees? I find by experience is um, how you see the employees in different restaurants is uh, reflects also the 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 owners also. So we're more on the human side, and we're trying to respect the people that work with us also. So there's a lot of people that have been working. There's I have a waiter that's been working since the beginning. So yeah, um, you have pretty low turnover. I mean, I've been I've been going to June Junie for for. 15 years since it opened and there is still some of the some of the similar people yeah i have a waiter that's been working with us for uh, almost 15 years now there there is that culture i mean there is japanese there's eastern versus western culture do you how do you find you know Junsan, you you trained in in japan uh certainly under which some some french influence and you come to the western culture north america there's definitely a, a difference in how people operate. Mm-hmm. How have you managed and what what has worked for you to mix both? Yes, like, you know, it's of course different uh, culture we growing up. And uh, because I'm a, I'm a Japanese, 100% Japanese, like from, you know, I grew up growing up in Japan when I was young. And uh, I had a s- Japanese traditional culture is I can't bring here to the, the, no, well, you know my employees. Nobody would survive. No. <laughs> so, but it's uh, we always say like you know it's uh, my respect word. It's uh, like respect each other. You know, it's a teamwork. But teamwork, but they, they people has to do a like professional wise. You know, they have to work as a professional. But we kind of like uh, we not help. Of course, we had to help each other, but people has to do a job and then so then respect each other and help each other. Then teamwork has become much stronger, like much bigger, you know. Uh, Jun-san, and I know in, in both Japanese and French cultures, apprenticeship in, in cuisine is extremely important. Did you have a, uh, someone who you looked up to when you were younger who taught you all these skills and, and taught you your style? 
Yes, a lot of chef.、Uh, yes, when I was. When I was young, yeah, but Japanese chef, but、mm. you know. And do you have someone now who you're, you're, who's going to be your protege? Oh, many,、uh, many, my chef is,、uh, yeah. There's a, there's a few in the wings. Would you say, you know, again, mixing the, the, the Western and the Eastern,、uh, I'm trying to think between the kitchen, kind of the, the back of the house and the front of the house. Is, is that maybe where the difference might be between the Western and the Eastern? Um, yeah, because、uh, most of the waiters are, are more、um, Quebec people. Of course, in the kitchen, there's a lot of Japanese people that work、uh, with us.、Uh, but it's, it's the way we work, it's either with somebody, either it's working or not. It's black and white. It's, it's, so if it goes well, it goes well. If it doesn't go well,、uh, the, the people is not going to. Speaking of going well and not going well, Restaurant Juni is a great success, but you did have another concept that you opened and closed. Tell us about that.、Um, it's, it's an experience. I think it's something, it's, it's negative, it's bad, but it's a learning process. It's been a good learning for us. What, by, what was the concept? The concept was a ramen shop, traditional ramen shop. Everything was made from scratch, you know, with、uh, Jun San's menu also, and his work ethic was there. But as, as a business starter, it's, it's kind of hard also because everything was well done. Like even、uh, the administration, the cost,、uh, the employees, the rent, everything was calculated. But sometimes, you know, even if you have like the good formula, it's not going to work also. Was it, was it because, was it, did location have a play in that? Location had a um, factor, um, and also the concept also was a factor. Also,、uh, now ramen was, it's, it's big now in Montreal, but it's been when did, big. When did you open it, that other place? 2004? 14? 14, yeah. yeah. 14. So, was that a case of too, too early? Like, like, people needed that education, it still wasn't. It、yeah, because a, yeah, a lot of people came in and they were like, Yeah, ramen is the thing that、uh, I ate when I was a student, you know, at one dollar, you know. So, <laughs> and like Jun san said, you know, making ramen is it's the same level that making sushi, also. So, that's why our work ethic was like this. So, we didn't cheat. So, our cost was, was kind of high, also, for a ramen job. But,、um, So, you ended up closing it. You drew a line in the sand. Yeah. And you said, you know what, it, it wasn't worth continuing anymore. Exactly, yeah. It was basically a dollars and cents decision. It just wasn't worth continuing the investment. Exactly. Either sunk in two ships or just one. So, we decided to sunk one to one. <laughs> that, that very, very, very good choice. So, now you're looking at a new concept, something that recently opened, something that is, is quite different. Tell us a little bit about that and why, what lessons you learned from the last one that you could apply to this one so that is a better chance of success. Yeah. It's a.、Uh, the ramen was, you know, it's a. We're selling sushi and a fish. And the ramen was a op, very different side, like, you know, using some pork and the chicken and、uh, the noodles. So now we. Uh, we have a nice fish, nice, nice you know, product. So, why not we sell this product to、uh, some other places? But we have a location like, beside of Juni. So, we, we took over and then we start to open the shop. Also, like、uh, some 
other concept, you know, maybe Pet gonna explain to to you. And uh, it's uh, we we selling our fish, we selling our product, and also we have a nice, we have a good dessert chef, so she makes a nice dessert, so we sell dessert. So it's really it's right next door, so it's like under this. your watchful eye. You don't need to travel to diff- different locations. You can really maintain, and you're you're really being true to form. You're being true to your essence. Ped, can you can you tell yes. me about a bit more about the place? Uh, the place what we wanted to do is kind of to show um, what Japan is. Um, I think I noticed that um, in Quebec a lot of people go to Japan now. Um, it's the trend now, and they love it. They love the culture, uh, but there's no places that shows what like Japanese culture is. Not only sushi, is not only ramen. So there's a many many things. So what we want to do is to apply what Japanese people does and culture-wise um, at that place. So, um, And business-wise is to make something that's not going to fail. So we did many things inside one place, and we don't want it to have like one direction of uh, business. So that's why we're going to sell fish, pastry. Uh, we sell our junior product also. And we do um, tasting menu night, so um, like in Japan, once a week. And uh, after that, we have our sake night also, Thursday, Friday. And we're going to have our workshop also eventually in spring. So at the end, when we try to do the concept is to do a Japanese grocery. But at the end, we were like, it's not enough. So plus this, plus this, plus this. At the end, um, I think it's um, it's a good concept and it's a good way also to to be different as um, a restaurateur because we didn't people were say oh just open the walls and make a restaurant bigger but we didn't want to do that because um, it's really 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 hard and also um, most of the time in the history of restaurant uh, business opening a bigger place is change a lot finding your niche and that's that's what's important Today's Entrepreneur on CJD 800 will have uh, Juni and Ped's one piece of advice for Today's Entrepreneur on the way. Uh, but first, we're going to chat with Peter Moretis about restaurants and taxes and uh, how that became more complicated a few years ago in Quebec. So that is on the way. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult FL Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and Josh Miller with you for today's Entrepreneur by FL Montreal. And uh, joining us in studio is uh, Juni Kimatsu and Ped Pimarakeo of Restaurant Juni, and we'll have their one piece of advice for today's Entrepreneur in a few minutes. But first, we welcome back Peter Moretis, tax partner at FL, uh, to talk about uh, the more complicated world of restaurants and taxes. Welcome back, Peter. Thanks, Dan. So, Josh, you mentioned this off the top. Uh, a few years ago, um, the Quebec government ordered restaurants to get a bit more serious and to automate with those uh, point-of-sale systems, and that caused a lot of problems for a lot of restaurateurs, but uh, perhaps uh, better in the long run to be organized. I think, you know, restaurateurs, you go, we have such a, a passion for food in, in Montreal that, they, you know, everybody focuses on the, on, the, on the food and the service and the location. But not all restaurateurs are administ- good administrators. Pet aside, you know, he's had lots of experience being an administrator, so he's he's excellent at it now. But not everybody has been well over the years or does that well over the years. So I guess I'm going to turn to you, Peter. And there, definitely there's challenges for restaurateurs or restaurant entrepreneurs about 
you know, dealing with the the sales taxes, the deductions at source, uh, some of the tax credits that come with it. So, what are some of the first kind of thoughts that come to your mind? Well, um, one just last week, I know on the program we were talking a lot about the construction industry, and similarly, any restaurant and bars are have the similar have a similar view in terms of what um, uh, people were maybe not doing properly in terms of uh, paying their rightful share of taxes, and it seems that it has had an impact in terms of the scrutiny that the government has on the industry in general. So like what Dan was saying was that, I think it's around now nine years ago maybe, the government instituted the MEV system, where it's essentially the black box, they call it, and it's linked up with all of their um, point-of-sale system or linked to their bills. And once a month or on a regular basis, that information gets transmitted uh, electronically to the government. Um based on what is actually being reported in the in the sales. Uh, and then that will get verified based on what they report on a monthly or quarterly basis when they do their sales tax filings. Because the government can essentially come in at any point and just walk into that, what you call a black box, the MEV, the MEV, and, uh, and I guess, get information from it. Oh, I, yeah, I think it, you, you, it's a requirement to do it. And, and even I think afterwards, maybe this is more the bar industry, but they require that uh, an invoice had to get issued for every transaction. So there's, um, um, there's definitely uh, an easy way where if there's a discrepancy between what was filed compared to what they have in, on the computer, it's an automatic uh, query of information. Pat, uh, do you remember when, they, when the MEV came into, into play about 10 years ago? Yeah, but for our business, it was quite pretty easy for the transition because um, I would say 95% of the people pay by credit card. Right. So we couldn't hide any sales. So Not that you ever would, of course. No, never, never. <laughs> but unfortunately, that's what happens is when there, it, it kind of forced a lot of compliance and additional administration, I guess, from people who were already doing everything correctly. Um and I know, like one of the other things that that it leads to is is there's this, uh, con- this thought, maybe in auditors that uh, that there's something to be found uh, at all times where so they keep digging exactly, and then so you're you're kind of really only uh, innocent when it's really officially proven that you are. So by the way, uh, at this point, Peter, if you walk into a restaurant and they don't have one of these electronic systems and they're it's all cash only kind of thing, that's that's not kosher right now. Correct. You you have the right to 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 request an invoice uh, or a receipt. Good to know. Um, and I mean, like they they take all all kinds of measures when people when restaurants are not properly uh, documented, where they will actually go back and base their their projected sales based on what. Uh, what their costs are in terms of purchasing. Now, I know with restaurants, you know, we were talking about labor and employees, and of course, there's the whole tip system. Um, and is sometimes there's a challenge for restaurant entrepreneurs to manage the tips and and make sure it gets on the the, the tax slips, the T fours properly, uh, the credits. So uh, yeah. w- what what comes to mind when we're talking about so tips? So now it's February. Now's the time where employers are are out there preparing for their T fours and their and their um, employment slips to employees. And Quebec again is different here as well in terms of restaurants, and um, it's actually not. Uh, a requirement for employers outside of Quebec to necessarily tax their employees on any tips. Uh, I think not it's even al- a minimum amount. No, well, in Quebec it is. So, uh, like, it, well, let's say in Canada in general, it's only if 
if the if the restaurant itself is the one charging, let's say sometimes a service fee, if the group is if there's a, a higher mm-hmm. group and they're really allocating it. Um, but in, in Quebec, if the um, if the employee doesn't submit their their uh, their tips, then the employer is required to tax them on eight percent of it. it. It it becomes part of their uh, their salary compensation. On the flip side, though, Quebec understands that that's an additional payroll cost for employees because it it becomes more QPP, more employment insurance, more deductions at source. So uh, companies or individuals, when they file their um, their, their returns for their for their tips. Uh, which is important why on their summary to include the details, they get a credit back for this additional cost of having to report it. Tips, uh, tax credit on the tips. Correct. Excellent. Peter, thanks so much. Uh, it's, uh, it's, there's, there's always lots to talk about when it comes to taxes and certainly restaurants. And, and you have kind of the, the look in, in the eyes of, of Junie and, and Pet going, oh, yes, we still have to deal with that. But as we approach the last moment of our show, as we do each week, uh, we'll turn to Pet and Junie and ask, uh, ask each of you, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? Uh, discipline. And um, you have to be there physically because um, restaurant is a service. So you have to listen to the customer. You have to listen to the people that work with you also. Because if you're sitting on your couch and just waiting for the sales, it's not going to happen. But like any kind of work that you do, you have to be there. And you have always to question yourself also. What's happening? What's good? What's not good? What can we do to evolve also the businesses also? It's, it's, it's quite motivating to do that. Thank you very much. Junsan, is there any, uh, any one piece of advice that you would give restaurateurs today? Yeah, just uh, try to uh, make customer happy, like always, you know. Then customer coming back all the time. And then, you know, then money is coming after. It's a. Uh, That's the circle. Yes. The circle of. It's a. Uh, of Jun- already of thinking about life. the. Already thinking about the to make people happy, because it's a uh, such a good job. What uh, what I do like uh, I'm very like appreciate to making people happy. You know. Thank you, Junie. Thank you very much, Jun Sanikimatsu and Ped Pimorkeo of Restaurant Juni. Uh, thank you so much, gentlemen, and appreciate you coming by tonight. We'll be back next Monday night at 7 here on CJ 8800 for today's entrepreneur. See you then, Josh. See you then.